0: decision. This morning, we're going to see how the grace of God transformed Peter's life. Not unlike the story that we just heard uh, from Rick. Like Peter, each of us have experiences or events in our past. Uh, maybe it's alcoholism. Maybe it's something else. Every one of us has something in our past that can hold us back from experiencing God's best for us. We all have things that we face. In fact, it looks like this. The reality is, is that we all face brokenness Each of us experiences this. Our past will hold us back from experiencing the fullness and new life that is ours in Christ. And so this morning, we're going to address this. How do I look into my past? How do I address those issues so that I can move forward and experience all that God has for me in my future? And so baptism is one of those steps that a person can take. It's an indicator of growth. And it's an opportunity for us to celebrate and let's lift our remainder of our time up together as we prepare to look uh, at the Word together. Father, I just want to thank you uh, for Rick and Marty. I thank you for their testimonies of faith. Uh, God, I thank you that, um, that you are alive and at work uh, in our lives in this congregation and in the world. And um, God, we just want to pray that you would soften our hearts this morning uh, to the things that um, are preventing us from being able to experience. Uh, that fullness of life, maybe forgiveness. And so, God, we just lift our time up to you this morning. I thank you for Peter, uh, just for his faithfulness, and for all of those that have gone before us that have been such an encouragement to our own faith walk. And, God, we just commit our time to you. Uh, This morning, we look forward to all that you have for us. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Uh, Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to look at how Jesus enables Peter to move beyond his path beyond his his past, um, with four principles that we can apply to our lives um, today through our text in uh, John 21. As we move uh, towards the new year, as we kind of head towards the end of the year and begin to move towards the new year, I have personally been stepping back to take some stock in my past. I'm really good at charging forward, not so good at stepping back to pause and ask questions. And so I've been intentional about Looking at my past and asking myself, is there any unfinished business that I need to take care of before I simply move into the next year? That's a great question. We should all be asking that. We should be constantly kind of evaluating where we are in our relationship with Christ as we think about moving forward. That's one of the things that we do when we celebrate communion together. It's an opportunity to come together to celebrate all that Christ has accomplished, uh, but it's also a time for us to reflect on our own lives to make sure that there's nothing that's interfering with our relationship with God. So, reflection. Is biblical. It's important, and so I've been reflecting on that myself um, these last few weeks. Um, I asked my wife uh, this question uh, a couple of weeks ago: Hey, is there anything in my past that you know I need to be aware of uh, before I move into the you know into next year? Is there any unfinished any, any unfinished business? And uh, she thought about it for a little bit. I'm thinking, well, what are you thinking about? The answer is no, right? <laughs> she said, well, let me think about this for a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, what, you have something. <laughs> And then I asked my kids that same question. Hey, kids, uh, is there anything or any unfinished business in my life that I need to take care of uh, before I move through the end of this year into next year? And uh, I felt like I was opening up a can of worms, right? It's kind of uncomfortable when you ask somebody, hey, is there anything I need to take care of? But it's important that we do that because we all have blind spots. Just like Peter, we all have blind spots. Our conversation between Jesus and Peter today from Uh, John chapter 21, we're going to find four principles that are relevant for us today that helped Peter move beyond his past into what God had for him. Uh, We see that in John chapter 21, but before we jump into that I want to back up for a minute. I want to look at John chapter 20 and let's look at some things that happened with Peter before we get to chapter 21. See, Jesus had just been crucified in John chapter 20. Um, He had died. He had been buried And beginning in in, uh, verse 1 of chapter 20, it says this, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, so she ran and she went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which we know is John, who is also the author of our book. Uh, He's referring to himself in the third person here. And she said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. They've stole his body. We don't know where they've taken him. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. He outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped down to look in. He saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he burst through. He went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and he saw a face cloth, which had been on Jesus, had been on his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place all by itself. And so when I read through this passage, just a couple of things. First of all, the fact that somebody would think that Jesus' body got stole, kind of goes contrary to the fact that he came alive and rose again. And I just don't think his body was stolen. You know, if I was going to steal a body in the middle of the night, I don't think I, think I just would have gone in there, I would have taken it and run. I don't think I would have unwrapped a decaying body. I don't think I would have taken the time to fold up the clothes. The reality is, as these two men looked into the tomb, the reality is, is that Jesus came back to life. And beginning in verse 8, it says, The other disciple who had reached the tomb first, John, he went in, he went in, and he saw, and he believed. So he understood the reality of what had just happened. John had beat Peter to the tomb. He looked in, and he saw, and he believed. John saw the folded clothes. He understood that Jesus came back to life, and and he believed. But in verse 9, it says, but as for the others, they did not yet understand the Scripture. And so Peter looks in and does not come to the same conclusion that John has come to. So there's some doubt still in Peter's mind. Verse 9 said, For they did not yet understand this scripture, that he might rise, that he must rise from the dead. And so they look in, they see this, and then what do they do after this amazing event? In verse 10 it says the disciples went back to their homes. They come up to the empty tomb, they look in, that's interesting, and they go back home. Now, Mary Magdalene, you know, Jesus appeared to her. She has this encounter with Jesus um, after they've discovered the empty tomb. In verse 19, we know that Jesus will appear to the disciples the first time without Thomas. But then down in verse 26, eight days later, we know that Jesus would appear this time with Thomas' there. And so Jesus has had two appearances with the disciples. John and Peter are home at their house. And then we pick up in Verse 21. It says this, beginning in verse 21. After Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, he revealed himself in this way. He's going to reveal himself to them a third time, and he's going to do it in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples, they were together. Simon Peter says to them, I'm going to go fishing. They said to him, that sounds good. We'll go with you. And they went out and they got in their boat and they went out and they went fishing and that night they caught nothing. So they're at home. Jesus has appeared to them and Peter thinks it's a good idea for them just to go fishing. What is going on in Peter's mind? So think about Peter there for a second. The first time that Jesus appeared to Peter, is in John chapter 1. Peter's brother Andrew uh, takes Jesus to Peter. Uh, Peter, who is called Simon at the time, has this encounter with Jesus. Jesus changes his name from Simon to uh, Cephas, which means Peter. And Peter becomes a follower at the beginning of John in chapter 1. And so Peter has become, he was a follower, and now all of a sudden, we find him kind of broken by himself at home. Luke records Peter's first meeting with Jesus like this. It records it in a little bit more detail in Luke chapter 5. Simon meets Jesus, and he's fishing. And so Jesus tells him, cast your nets into the lake and catch yourself some fish. They've been there all night. They haven't caught anything. And Peter says, we have toiled all night long and taking nothing. But at your word... We will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. It's a miracle. It's amazing. And Peter at this point realizes that it's the Lord. And then you go on to verse 10. Everyone's afraid. They're in awe. Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And when they brought the boats to the land, they did what? They left everything and followed Jesus. And so this is Jesus' first encounter with Peter. We see Peter has this amazing life transformation. being you know in verse 11, it talks about the fact that they left everything to follow. Jesus has had this encounter with Peter. He's followed him. He's become a follower. He's seen these powerful miracles. He's heard amazing teaching for three years. He's heard of a, and just seen miracle after miracle. He's been at the hands and feet of Jesus for three years listening to that teaching. I mean, Peter, at this point, when he comes to the tomb and sees it's empty, he now knows, should know, that Jesus has come back to life. You know, he left everything to follow Jesus. He's seen powerful miracles. He's heard teaching. And now he's at the tomb. The body is gone. The tomb is empty. And what is Peter doing? Nothing. Hey, let's go fishing. As you move into the beginning of chapter 21, it's almost as if the first three years didn't even happen for Peter. It's almost as if they were a waste. You know, look what it says in John 21 verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. At the end of this encounter, we find Peter not amazed at the empty grave or curious about where the body is or thinking about everything that he has learned for three years. He, in fact, looks back and says, you know what, I'm going fishing. And the rest of them went with him. And they went out into the boat that night, and guess what? They caught nothing. He's out there in his own power, doing his own thing, and he's not catching any fish. You know, Peter is in a strange place right now, isn't he? You know, Peter has hit a spiritual wall. He's returned to his former way of life. He's gone back to go fishing. And he's on his own and his nets are empty. When you think about your spiritual walk, when you think about your spiritual journey, have you hit a wall? Have you hit a wall in your journey? Are you afraid of taking a step forward on your spiritual journey? Do you know what your next step is? Are you feeling stuck? Are your nets empty? Are you worn out trying to do things your own way? What's holding us back from experiencing the fullness of what God has for us in our life? Your past will always hold you back from experiencing the fullness of forgiveness and new life that is yours in Christ. Let's keep reading to find out how Jesus helps Peter move beyond his being stuck. Beginning in verse 4, it says this, As day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? No, they answered. He said to them, Cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you're going to find some. You've got to be thinking, hey, if I'm Peter right now, they'll be like, hey, I've heard this story before. So they cast it in And now they were not able to haul it in because the quantity of fish was so large. The disciple, the one that Jesus loved, therefore, looks over at Peter and says, it's the Lord. (laughs) I love what Simon Peter does. Simon Peter, when he hears the Lord, puts on his outer garments because he was stripped for the work. He's with a bunch of guys, he doesn't have any clothes on, he's going to go meet the Lord, he puts some clothes on. He throws himself into the sea. Because he wants to get to the shore before John this time. As you read down in in verse 8, it said the other disciples, they came in the boat. I got this picture of Peter running to the shore this time. You're not going to beat me again. And he gets to the shore. The other disciples come following him in the boat. And they're dragging this net full of fish, for they were not far from the land. They were only about 100 yards off. In verse 9, when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, which had fish on it. And so things have got to start clicking for Peter here. He's got this group of three things that are happening to him in his life. He's, he caught this fish off the side of the boat like he'd done in the past. He knows it's the Lord. And then he comes up and he sees a charcoal fire cooking this fish. And the relevance of that charcoal fire, it's only mentioned twice in the New Testament. The other one's in John 18. The charcoal fire was the same kind of fire that was at play when Peter denied Jesus three times. And so we see this charcoal fire. And I know many of us are using gas grills. How many have gas grills? Everybody uses gas grills. Anybody use charcoal anymore? I love charcoal. It, it's got some stuff on it. you got know, any chemicals? I don't know. But there's something about the taste of charcoal, but you've got that heater thing, and you throw some fire on it, and you put the heater thing in it, and it glows red, and all of a sudden the charcoals are glowing. And so char- charcoal, it, it cooks with heat. Not with flames. When you turn your gas grill on, you've got these flames coming out here. It'll burn your meat, except they put these little diffusers in the top because they don't want your meat getting burned. And so you know, when you burn with gas, it's flames. But when you burn with charcoal, it's hot. It's glowing embers. It's like when you build a fire. Uh, We've got a little thing on our deck. We build this fire, and the flames are all shooting up. And then a little bit later, as the fire starts to burn down, what do you get? You get a nice, hot bed of coals. And they are Hot. A charcoal fire is a hot fire. It's used for refining metal. It's used for heating things up. In John chapter 18, they had a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were trying to warm themselves up. If it had been flaming, they couldn't have stuck their hand there. They got burned. Charcoal fire is about heat. It's symbolic of refining. And so Peter sees this charcoal fire, and he's seen it before, and I'm sure it clicks with him again. And it has fish on it. And Jesus said to them, bring some fish that you have caught. So Peter is the one that jumps up and he goes over and he hauls the net ashore filled with large fish, 153 fish. That's interesting that it's 153 fish. It wasn't just a large lot of fish. It wasn't a net full of fish. It wasn't 150 fish. 151 or 52. It was 153 fish. God is into the details of our lives, isn't he? God cares about every single one of us. You know, that's why he leaves the 99 to go search after the one. Every single fish is important. There's 153 fish. And I'm thinking Peter's got to be thinking, wow, there's that number three again. There were so many, the net was not torn, though. Jesus said, come and have breakfast." Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They all knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, and he took the bread, and he gave it to them, and so he did so with the fish. Now, this is the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. We've got the third appearance. We've got the 153 fish. We've got the three times that Jesus uh, was denied uh, by Peter. And now what we're getting ready to do is we're going to look at this conversation between Jesus where he would ask him again three times how many times he loves him. I think if I was Peter, if I saw the number three somewhere, I would run. You know, part of me just feels so bad for Peter because I can identify with him and what it means to try to try to run out and do things in your own strength. We've got to stop and address our path, our past. And that's where Jesus speaks to Peter. As you move into verse fifteen. We're going to find these four principles from this passage, but let's read it together. Beginning in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Not love me more than the fish. It was with the disciples. Do you love me more than the people you're with? Am I your first priority or the people around you are what influences you? Do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, uh, he said to him, tend my sheep. Then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Feed my sheep, Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and you used to walk where you wanted. When you were younger in your faith, you got to get free reign, you get what you wanted. But when you're old now, you're going to stretch out your hands and another's going to dress you and, and carry you off where you do not want to go. And that stretch out your hands is reflective of what happens at a crucifixion. Jesus just told Peter that he's going to die. He said this in verse 19 to show him what kind of death he was going to have to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said, you need to follow me. Peter turned and he saw the other disciple that Jesus led following them. And he said, he said, this was also the one that had leaned back against Jesus during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? In verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, hey, what about this guy? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So this saying spread among the brothers that the disciple was not yet to die. But yet that's not what Jesus said. He did not say he was not going to die. But he said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And so this encounter from, between Jesus and Peter, it's life transforming for Peter. And we're going to look to see how it turned out in just a few moments. But I want to share with you four principles from this conversation that Jesus has with Peter that we can apply um, to our lives um, today, the first principle is this: we find the fullness and forgiveness of new life in Christ when we break through our brokenness. When we break through our brokenness, beginning in verse 17, Jesus said this. 17, the very right there at the beginning of the verse 17, He said to him the third time, "Son of John, do you love me?" Peter was grieved because He said to him a third time, "Do you?" Peter was grieved because he understood the reality of the rejection that he had made of Jesus in John 18. He denied Christ three times. I will follow you till death. I mean, everybody's listening. Everybody's watching. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. What did he do? He denied Jesus three times, and he was grieved because of that. I'm sure he was embarrassed. I'm sure he's not talking to people about what happened. And so in his grief, he isolates himself and is no longer stepping out in obedience to what God has done. He has not faced and broken through his brokenness. We need to acknowledge our brokenness. We need to talk about it. That's our testimony. People don't want to come to church for a variety of reasons. I think a lot of times people don't come to church because they just haven't thought about their need. They have no idea what church is all about. They have no idea what their need is. Sometimes people don't go to church because they've been hurt. There's something in their past that is keeping them from experiencing, connecting to a local church. And so they haven't thought about their past and their need for Christ, or they have thought about their past and it's keeping them from it. A lot of times, I would say 50% of the time, if not more, of the people I invite to church make the joke, I can't come because if I showed up, the church would burn down. You ever heard that? It's just a sense of unworthiness. God doesn't want me. There's just a sense of, defeat because of something that they've done in their past that they're embarrassed about. And it is holding them back from experiencing the fullness of the forgiveness and the new life that Christ offers us. A lot of times people don't want to make a faith commitment because they, they haven't looked back at their past and understood their need. Sometimes they look back at their past and they're embarrassed or they're afraid of what other people are going to think. We are so consumed about what other people think that it holds us back. Sometimes people don't want to get baptized because of fear or because of issues with family. You know, when I made a faith commitment, I made a faith commitment. I was the, I was the first one in my family, apart from my wife, um, that had come to Christ. My entire family thought I joined a cult. You know, I, what, what's, what's going on? My mom started crying when I got baptized, and there was so much fear about making a faith commitment and getting baptized. It was holding me back, and until I could Break through my brokenness and say, hey, this is about my faith and about what God wants me to do in my life and step out of obedience. God wasn't able to use that testimony. We let other people hold us back. We let our own brokenness hold us back. And until we break through that brokenness, we are not going to experience the fullness of the forgiveness nor the fullness of the new life that is ours in Christ. We need to break through our brokenness if we're going to experience genuine life of transformation. The second principle is this. We need to listen wholeheartedly. We need to listen wholeheartedly. At the end of verse 17, when Jesus asked him the third time, uh, Lord, uh, he says, do you love me? Peter says to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now when you look at this passage, um, a lot of times people will talk through, um, you know, it, it's interesting to look at um, just the way Jesus talks to Peter. You know, he says, uh, feed my lambs, and then feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And so if you look at this passage from Jesus' perspective, he does some things with regard to, hey, who do I want you to feed? Lambs, sheep. And so you can, you can do a little study on lambs and sheep. The other thing that's interesting is you can look at this from a text perspective. You know, what does the Bible say about this? And you can look at the, the you know, Jesus asked him in agape, and he answered in philo, agape, and philo, there's different types of love. Uh, Then at the very end, the last time he asked, it's philo, philo. And and so you can look at it from a text perspective and you can say, hey, what's the text say about this? But you know what's interesting? If you look at this from Peter's perspective, which is what we're doing, we're looking at how this conversation with Jesus transforms Peter. So let's look at this from Peter's perspective. Jesus asked him the first time, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. And Jesus says, really? Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. That's kind of indicative of Peter. Peter typically thinks you know, or speaks before thinking. And so Peter just blurts out an answer, blurts out an answer. That third time that Jesus asked him, do you love me? You know what he says? He says, Lord, you know everything. You know me. You know my heart. You know what I'm thinking. You know everything that there is to know about me in my brokenness. In my impetuousness, you know everything there is to know about me. You know that I love you. And so there's something different in Peter's heart with regard to what he heard Jesus asking him. When somebody asks you a question, are you reflectively thinking about it or are you already thinking about your answer? If we're going to let God's word speak to us and transform us, we've got to soak it in. We have to listen to God's Word reflectively. You can read. I've got to go read the Bible you know, every year. So I'm reading, 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 reading. I'll read stuff just because, man, I've got to get these three chapters done or I'm not going to get my... There's a difference between reading the Bible or doing a devotion and stopping and hanging on one verse, looking at it, thinking about the words. How does it apply to my life? We need to listen to God's Word wholeheartedly not impetuously, and without thought. And we see Peter do that. That third time that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He listened wholeheartedly, reflective in the fact that, Jesus, you know everything there is to know about me. I do love you. And so we need to listen wholeheartedly. The third principle is this. We need to put aside ourself. Peter has embraced his brokenness. He understands he's rejected Jesus. He's acknowledged loving God. Um, this time, he understands that he's going to die. His hands are going to be stretched out. He's going to go someplace he doesn't want to go. Um, no sooner than he hears all these things, his first question uh, to Jesus, after he gets done with Jesus here is, hey, what about John? <laughs> you know, in verse 22, Jesus says this to Peter. He says, if it is my will that he remain uh, until I come. What is that to you? You know, Peter is embracing his brokenness. He's learning to listen, but what's the first thing he does? He looks over to John, the disciple that Jesus loved the most, the one that's beat him to the tomb. I mean, you got to say he's getting beat up by John. There's this healthy competition in my mind that I envision between Peter and John. Peter hears that he's going to die, and the first thing he wants to know is, hey, what about John? Is he... More influenced by the people around him, his friends, or is he really listening, engaging with Jesus? Is Jesus really the f- most important? I think that's why Jesus asked him at the beginning Hey, am I more important to you than these? Not the fish, these other people. Do you let other people influence you more than my word? What influences you? We've got to put ourselves aside. It doesn't help that John keeps rubbing it in his face, right? Do you compare yourself to others? Are you more worried about what others think than about what Jesus says? You know, put aside ourselves. We need to make Jesus Christ Lord, which means that we do what he says. We have the Holy Spirit in us. You are called to be a witness. Well, I think I need to pray about sharing my faith. You don't need to pray about it. You need to be a witness. It's an obedience issue. You know, baptism is an obedience issue. Go, make disciples. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. Go make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey. And then I will be with you to the very end of the age. We have milestones. We have steps that we move through. And the people around us sometimes we're more afraid of than what God has commanded us to do in his word. We have got to put aside ourselves If we're going to experience the fullness of life that God has for us, and the fullness of forgiveness that's available to us through Christ. We have to put ourselves aside. The fourth principle is this. We need to be obedient. Verse 22 said what? Follow me. Don't worry about him. Follow me. And you know what's funny? There's, there's no exclamation marks in the original language. That happened in a translation. Because the follow me, in uh, the original language, they use verb tense. You know, passive, active, you know, those kind of things. They use tense to communicate their point. When when Jesus says, follow me, he uses an imperative word. In other words, go, do this. It's imperative. It's not optional. It's a command. Follow me. You, follow me me. It's an obedience issue. There's times when we have to follow Christ into places that make us uncomfortable. There's times when we have to put his word in place into our life and it makes us uncomfortable. We're in good company. At least you don't have to worry about, at least today, as far as we know, getting crucified. That's where Peter is headed. And Jesus says, look, you need to follow me. Don't worry about John. Don't worry who's going to go before you. Don't worry about how they're going to die. You follow me. And you know what? Living the Christian life seriously. It's easy. It's easy to follow the Christian life. It really is. If you read and you study and you apply God's word, living the Christian life is simple. You know, the goal of reading the Bible and studying it, even in our preaching. It's not just to share information. It's like, wow, that's interesting. The goal of obedience is transformation. And when we are living our life out in God's will, there's a sense of peace that comes from that apart from our circumstances. You know what gets us worked up? What gets us worked up and what makes it difficult is when we start thinking about the people around us. It gets difficult when we don't embrace our brokenness. You're telling me to do something I need to do, and I don't even understand why I need to do it. That's the struggle. Or, I heard what you said, but I really didn't understand it, and that's where the struggle is. I know God's told me to do this. If I just did it, it would be easy. The difficulty in the Christian life has nothing to do with following Christ. and has everything to do with the influence of the people around us. We need to put ourself aside and be obedient. That's the fourth principle that we learn from Peter's life. You know, the struggles that we have to that we have to put up with are are not from here, but out here. And we need to live for in here. This is where life transformation comes from. Don't let your past hold you back from what God has for you moving forward. We need to break through our brokenness, listen wholeheartedly, put aside ourselves, and we need to be obedient. And as a result of Peter's transformation, We see God work mightily in him. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, Peter says uh, he has an opportunity to speak before these crowds, these huge crowds. Peter stands up with boldness and says, with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said, men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. He stands up with boldness and tells them about their need for a relationship with Christ. He spells out, The gospel. He looks back on his life. He looks back on Christ's life. He's done these four principles in his life, and God is using him in amazing ways, and the result is this. When you go down through the book of Acts to the next verse in verse 41, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the same guy that previously had given up and had gone back to his home and was now fishing until his encounter with Jesus Christ transformed his life. And that same power to transform lives is available to us today. This morning, I want to ask you, are you experiencing the fullness of Christ? Is there any unfinished business that you need to take care of that's holding you back from experiencing the fullness of forgiveness and the new life that can be yours in Christ? On your welcome slip this morning, across the top, there's a set of numbers, uh, just one through five. I want to encourage you to take one of these steps, if you do not have a relationship with Christ, you can circle the number one. If you say, I think I have a relationship with Christ, I'm not sure if I have one, I want to know more, more about it, would you circle the number one at the top of your welcome slip? I would love the opportunity to talk with you. Pastor Matt would love the opportunity to talk with you. Our church exists to help people understand how to have a relationship with Christ. If you've never had an opportunity to take the step of baptism, circle the number two. We will leave this up, and we'll do it again next week. In fact, we'll, just, we'll do them every weekend. As many people that are ready to take that step, we'll celebrate that with them. And so if baptism is your next step, take that step. Get involved in a small group. It's not scary. It's really not. That's where growth comes from. People love hanging around there. A lot of groups have meals. The biggest issue is trying to make room for it in your calendars. I guarantee you it will transform your life. If you get together with others, read his Word, study it, and apply it to your life. Get connected and serve with the church. You know, every believer has a spiritual gift for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. We are better together, and we need everyone in the game. Share your faith with others. If you need some help with that, you know, we'll help you write your testimony. I'll match you up. You know, Pastor Matt and I are looking. There's people that have questions about Jesus and people that have said, hey, I'm willing to talk with somebody about, they have questions about Jesus. We just need to match them up. And so if you want to know more about how to share your faith with others, um, we'll help you to be able to do that as well. Peter, one man, life's transformed, preaches, 3,000 people here, 11 of them are together, we see the birth of the early church, one, 11, can you imagine what it would look like if 200 people, if just the people in this room were to take seriously, take that seriously and do it. Think about the impact that we would have, not just in this church, but in your families, in our community, in this world. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today. I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, God, I know that uh, we've got a full morning this morning, so I just want to pray that you would continue to go before us as we uh, move towards the conclusion of our series. God, I pray that you would transform our lives for your glory. God, we commit them to you. uh, For your glory, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.